0: Good morning, church family. So good to be back with you. Happy Father's Day to you. Can you believe it's been three months? We didn't gather at all in the season of spring. Can you believe that? From middle of March till now here, the latter part of June. So it is good to be back. And I just want to begin by telling you how much I appreciate everyone's flexibility over the last few months. I, I, I know we've all been walking through a season that uh, we had not been in before, and people have been so gracious and so uh, so understanding of all the different, different uh, things and, and adjustments that have had to be made. Um, many of you have spent a lot of time either online or with Zoom meetings. Um, what we didn't Many of us didn't even know much about Zoom a few months ago, and now you you may be an expert at Zoom. Uh, But I'm just thinking about student ministry and uh, small groups. I know several of you small group leaders have continued to to keep your gatherings together. Even the middle school boys have been doing these Zoom meetings, right? Uh, Just think about the challenges there and keeping all that together. So thank you to small groups, women's ministry. I know that a lot has been taking place online with women's ministry Tim and Amy with student ministry. I know there's been activities on on Tuesday nights for kids, so there's just been a lot that that people have had to adjust to, and so I just appreciate each of you. Um, I want to give a special word of appreciation to Michael Mawson. He serves our church staff as the technical ministry director and in just a matter of about three days in March he had to figure out how to bring us to an online worship experience and so Michael thank you for uh, what you have done. He's hiding now but he's back in the booth. He's back there and uh, in addition to that today he has a uh, brought these services to a live stream. So we had been recording on Thursday, and those videos would be ready by Sunday. Now everything's going out to Facebook and YouTube as a live stream. And So, Michael, thank you for that. And to those who are watching on the live stream, I I hope that you know we are one church family, and we don't want you to feel like you are spectators of what's happening here. We are all together, and uh, I know that you're participating in worship. In fact, we may have uh, more people participating uh, virtually today, and so, uh, so again, we just want to know that we remember you, and we look forward to the day when all of us will be able to be back together again. This morning, I want us to, uh, to look at a passage of Scripture from Ephesians, if you want to turn to chapter 3. Uh, it's really a standalone message. It's not a, not a, not a series yet, uh, just a, a message that, that encompasses a passage of Scripture that I think fits where we are today. Uh, Paul uh, addresses the church in Ephesus, and he begins by telling them that he hopes that they would not lose heart, that they would not be discouraged. And as I think about the last three months, I know that there, there has been discouragement. I know that many even here in our midst or watching uh, on, online have, have sensed that, that discouragement, that anxiety. Uh, for some, it may have come out even in depression or even fear. Uh, just just think about what all we have experienced as a nation. First, it was this pandemic and all of these protocols and all of the, the fear related to a to a sickness. And then then we've we've seen uh, unrest and we've seen all the, the things that have that have been connected to racial uh, prejudice and, and violence in the streets. And it's just it's it's caused an even greater sense of of, of confusion or chaos. And and Lord willing, next week. I want to take some time to, to think through some of those topics with us uh, from, from the Bible, to look at some of what we've been experiencing. But I, I just want to take today to say I know that many in our midst have, have had to process a whole lot of emotion. And there may still be a lot of uncertainty in the life that that you are living right now. And uh, and we don't deny that. We know that there is a lot that's taking place. And so um, even though the situation in Ephesus was a little different than what we're going through, Paul was writing to a group of people that were on the cusp of discouragement. And so I think that there are some words there for us. God's word's alive, right? I mean, it speaks. And uh, it speaks to us today as well. And so the prayer that we're going to read and look at... Is a prayer that Paul prayed for a church that was that was discouraged, and he he reminded them of the greatness of God. And throughout this prayer, we're going to hopefully have an expanded perspective of who God is, His character, His nature, His provision, and how that affects us on a day to day level. So, again, we'll look at Ephesians chapter three, and uh, we'll see that Paul is writing to a church and uh, wanting them to stay the course, to not give up. And, uh, in fact, the the prayer begins in verse 14. But why don't we begin in verse 13? Because that's where he kind of sets the tone for the reason for the prayer. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 13. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. We'll talk a little more about his afflictions. He's writing this from a prison in Rome. This is one of the four prison letters of Paul. So so he's writing from prison, and so he's afflicted. But he also knows that the church in Ephesus has suffered. And we'll talk about their suffering in a minute. And so it's in that context, with that background, that he prays this prayer for them that God has preserved for you and me. Let's receive it together. Verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly Established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So there's his prayer for the church, even for us prayers that we would be strengthened prayers that we would be reminded of the the magnitude of God and his care for us his strength his provision and how that is truly an inexhaustible supply that you and I are able to tap into now i know that when when times are difficult, whether it's in a, in a collective sense like we've been walking through as a, as a nation or even in a more individual sense, when those times get tough, it's, 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 uh, it's tempting for us just to, to keep an eye on what's right in front of us, to be, to be really consumed by, by the here and the now and what's, what's in front of us. And, and, and in doing so, we can at times miss the bigger picture of God. of of, of Him being at work, of Him being with us, of Him providing what is needed. And so this prayer really peels back what we might be missing right now, and being able to get a greater glimpse of who God is. So, So I pray that this prayer will be an encouragement to each of us in a time of need. Let us, too, be reminded of who we are in Christ, what we have received in Him. And may we be strengthened spiritually. May, may we find that strength. If, if any of us have, have been, been tempted to give up, to stop, to quit, may we today be reminded that He is with us and that He makes all the difference. So as we look at this prayer in greater detail, I'd like for us to see three aspects of it. The first one is this. It's a prayer related to inexhaustible strength, inexhaustible Strength. If you look at verse sixteen, it speaks of being strengthened with power, and that word power uh, is the same word that we use for the word dynamite. So I mean, it's this is this is a really strong word talking about about the strength that comes this 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 source that is uh, that is very very powerful, and that of course comes uh, from our heavenly Father. Again, we see that Paul is referencing his suffering. If you look at verse thirteen. He talks about his afflictions on their behalf, knowing that he uh, himself is in a prison in Rome. He's done all these missionary journeys, visited all these cities throughout the Roman Empire, and now he's there in the capital and he's put in prison for his faith. And he did not want the church to be discouraged, so he wrote them this letter. But he also knew that in Ephesus, they had experienced turmoil themselves. In fact, I would encourage you, take five minutes this afternoon, and read Acts chapter 19 because it, it, it speaks about the church in Ephesus and what they were dealing with. And it will, it, will, it will lay out for you a controversy that was happening in the city that impacted the church of Ephesus directly. And that's why Paul was, was worried and concerned that they might lose heart, that they might be discouraged, because there was turmoil going on in their world as well, and they were feeling the, uh, the brunt of that. Now, I want us to think for a minute about the ancient city of Ephesus. In fact, you can see a, a picture here. These are the ruins. It's in modern-day Turkey, and uh, oftentimes when people think of Ephesus, they think of one of the, uh, the two-story buildings that's there in the background. That's the Celsus library, and uh, at that time, it was the third largest library in the world. It had tens of thousands of scrolls, and there, Alexandria and then another one uh, were, were, were larger, but this was the third largest library, and so you can see this is, uh, this is the main street that goes all the way out uh, to, the, uh, to the water, and, uh, and this, this was a substantial city. But there was another uh, another structure that was even more famous than the Celsus Library, and that was the Temple of Artemis. You might also know of it as the Temple of Diana. And uh, Artemis and Diana are a a goddess. the the Greek name is Artemis, the Roman name is is uh, is Diana, and w- it was one of the seventh wonders of the ancient world. In fact, there's a, uh, a picture here you can see of a, of a, a recreation of what that uh, would have looked like. Uh, it, was, it was longer than a football field. Uh, it was over 425 foot long, and it housed the image of Artemis. So, you know, just like the Parthenon, these were, these were pagan temples, okay? And so on the inside of this, there would have been an image of a goddess named Artemis that they claimed was an image that fell from heaven and that they would there then come to this place that was just uh, it, all kinds of gold and jewels. I mean, just to imagine the expense it would have been to uh, uh, to build a, uh, uh, a structure like this. And so it was all about this false religion. And if you read Acts chapter 19, you will see that the city commerce was even... A, affected by this because people would travel in to see this structure. They would travel in to worship Artemis. And while they were there, they would purchase something created by the silversmiths, a little image of Artemis that they could take back with them. And so when the gospel came and when the true uh, uh, good news of Jesus Christ was proclaimed and people began to follow him and turn to the living and true God, what do you think was the effect on the temple of Diana? the temple of artemis all of a sudden people saw it for what it was they no longer wanted to visit it they no longer wanted to purchase what the silversmiths were making and so what happened in the city is that that uh, that there was a lot of unrest led by the union of the silversmiths because they were upset that their business was now in decline now you may wonder well what is the what does that temple look like now here's a here's a picture today a full column and a half is left. And I, I was telling the early service, I know we might look at that and go, oh really, that's, that's too bad that that's all that's left. But, but I want to remind you this was a pagan temple, okay? So let's just pray that the other column and a half falls down too, right? And just completely no longer have this false temple, this false worship to Artemis. Well, if you uh, if you think about the, uh, uh, the the people that were leading that that religion, they were, they were magicians, they were witches, they were spirit mediums. And if you read Acts 19, you'll see that that there was even some who turned to Christ and burned all of the, the occult documents that they had. They were making a strong statement that they were no longer a part of that. There was a lot of immorality connected with it as well. And so uh, if you if you look at Acts 19, you'll see that there was a time in which members of the church Of Ephesus were brought before the town, and they brought them before the city theater, which there is still uh, some ruins of that. You can see it on the next picture. It was a a massive outdoor theater uh, seating 20 to 25,000 people, and the early Christians were brought in in front of that. And they were brought in to give an answer for why the city economy was, was going down. And they were hearing people for two hours, according to Acts 19, chant the name of Artemis over and over and over again. And who was being looked at and being held responsible? But it was the early church of Ephesus. And there would have been a riot The end of chapter 19 says that the city clerk stopped everyone and said, this is getting out of control. If you've got an issue, let's do it in a lawful way. But it was just about to that fever pitch. So why am I telling you all of this? Because that's what this prayer is all about. It's it's written to a group of people that were struggling, that that were potentially losing heart, giving up because of all that they had been through. And I realize the situation that they were walking through may be different than what we as a nation and as a church are walking through, but some of the things are similar in this, that we look around and we see chaos and confusion. You know, there was even a Supreme Court ruling that happened a couple of weeks ago that uh, that we need to keep an eye on in terms of, of religious liberty issues. So a lot of things have been happening, and we look around and say, what in the world is going on? and it's with that that we can look to the lord and to know that that uh, that right now we 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 are in a position to be ambassadors ambassadors of the truth ambassadors of compassion and hope for those who are hurting those who are discouraged you know it reminds me that that we are a lighthouse and that we are like that city on a hill That that even if there's a lot of of, of confusion and chaos around us, we can be a light of hope and comfort even in these times. So, church, this isn't a time to be discouraged in that standpoint. It's a time for us to, to once again be reminded of who God is and who we are in Him and the mission that He has given for such a time as this. The world needs truth right now. Christ is the truth and his gospel is the good news that is needed. So this prayer that we're reading again reminds us of the greatness of God. He is absolutely limitless in his ability and in his supply. And so we come being reminded of that. In fact, if you look at verse 16, there's a phrase there that speaks of of us being strengthened with power. And at the uh, at the beginning of it, it says I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory. And that's an interesting phrase, according to. Some of the commentators that uh, I was reading said he didn't say out of his riches, but according to. And the difference is this. If I had happened to bring a million dollars in with me today, which, trust me, I I didn't do. But if I had, and I said, okay, I'm going to give $25 out to each of you. That would have been giving you money out of the wealth that was here. But if I'm going to give it to you according to the wealth, it would look more like what? Like $25,000, right? The idea that that according to this great amount of money, we then receive a greater amount. It's according to. It's not out of. And so when we think about who God is and the riches of His glory, of His strength, it's according to the one who is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the the creator of all that we see and experience. And so with him, there are no limitations. If there is a need, he can supply. And that is the reminder to the church of Ephesus and to the church today. And to access this, Paul is doing it through prayer. Prayer is in some way a way for us to touch the throne of God. That in prayer, in some way it sets his hand into motion, that in some way it honors God for us to come before him and ask, for us to identify a need, but to also identify a source. And so it's in the context of prayer that that Paul gives us these statements. And it's through that prayer that divine activity is unleashed. Let me just ask you, do you need that? Do you, do you long to see God working in you and through you? Have you seen someone before? When you, when you watch their, their, their life, you say, that is someone that God is working through. That is someone that God is, is, is at work in, and I can see it. That's, that's the call here, to be strengthened by Him. Now, as we think about this, we know that it's beyond human power. This idea to be strengthened with power, as I said, it's the, it's the, the strength of God. It's the, it's the word dynamite, that there's something there that's, that's, that's noticeably different than what a human could produce, this kind of strength. And it comes with us accessing it from the power of God through His Holy Spirit. I was reminded of, a, of an account I read years ago. Maybe you've seen the, uh, the Tournament of Roses, the Rose Bowl Parade, and uh, this, this massive parade with all these floats, with I don't know how many thousands of, of roses decorating them. It's one of the, the most famous events that, uh, that we have around New Year's. And uh, there's a, an account that, it, that one of these floats in a particular parade, as it was going, stopped. It, it sputtered and came to a halt, which was a big problem. This is live TV, right? And you've got all these other floats that are behind it that they themselves are also stopped. And you've got all these marching bands that were marching along, and now they are stopped and trying to figure out what all is, is supposed to happen. And, and so they rush up to the float, and they begin looking at it. They can't get it to start. Somebody checks, and can you believe it? But it was out of gas. They had done all this work decorating the exterior of it, but someone forgot to fill it with gas. And then the more that they they looked at this float, they realized that it was owned by the Standard Oil Company. So you think, of any float that should have had gasoline, it should have been the one with the vast resources of an an oil company. And I stop and I think, you know what? That's us. That's us. That's us. We have these vast resources, and we have a God that says, I want to fill you. I want to dwell in you. I want to give you what you need. And so this prayer is is a filling prayer. It is is a prayer meant to give the, the strength that is needed at that moment. And so that's what we have. When we believe and when we feel that the tank is empty, it's not a matter of, of a greater human spirit. It's a matter of divine power being imparted through His Spirit. Look at verse 17. It says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's a strong statement. In fact, this, this word dwell literally means make His home. It even uses the same root word that we would, 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 would translate home that He wants to make His home within us. And we, we understand that that's through His Holy Spirit. But just think about the contrast there. You've got people in Ephesus that are, that are worshiping a statue that is powerless, and you have a God that says, I want to dwell in you. I want to give you what is needed. I want, I want to be in your midst and strengthen you and dwell Within you. It reminds me of John 14, where Jesus says in verse 23 If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Folks, that's the beauty. That is the beauty of the gospel message right there. That yes, he is a great God, that he is, he is beyond what we could even describe or understand but He's also very near, right here within us. And that, that is a distinction of the gospel message. That's the inexhaustible strength. Secondly, I want us to notice the second aspect of the prayer, and that is incomprehensible love. Just look at the way this prayer describes the love of God and the fact that that is what is to give us stability in this life. So let's talk about that. First of all, if you look at verse 17, it uses a couple of metaphors. It says, I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, or your version might say uh, rooted and grounded in love. So two metaphors. To be rooted is an agricultural metaphor. It's talking about like this tree that has a, has a strong root system so that it can tap the nutrients, that it's stable when the storms come. So that's, that's one perspective. But then, then he changes metaphors, and he borrows from the architectural world, and he talks about being firmly established or grounded. And he's, he's really speaking of a foundation, that your life is built on a foundation. Remember last week, Matthew chapter 7, two houses, two foundations, shifting sand versus solid rock? Well, this is, this is very similar in what he's saying, that, that we are to be rooted and firmly established, and this is a picture of security. Now, what is it specifically that we are to be established in? What does it say there? It says love, the love of God. And as soon as our American ears hear that, we begin thinking of emotion, emotion, and feeling, maybe Valentine's Day, right? I mean, that's usually what we pick up on. That's how love in our culture is oftentimes described. And there is an emotional aspect of love. I don't deny it. But that is not, that's not the biblical understanding of this word. What we need to see when we read the word love, we need to, to think of words like steadfast commitment, loyalty, that, that it is the steadfast covenantal love of God that gives us stability, firmly rooting us, giving us that firm foundation. It's His commitment to us. So when we see love of God, it's not just a feeling. It's this steadfast commitment that He is demonstrating. In fact, it's further described in Romans chapter 8. I'd love to read just just a few verses of Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. What then are we to say about these things if God is for us, who is against us? Who can separate us from the what? The love of Christ. Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Just think of all the tribulation that is being described here. And I would tell you, he's not writing about something that's just a feeling. He's writing about a commitment, a covenant that God has made that regardless of what it is that we are walking through or experiencing, we are secure in His love. And it, of course, is to be a love that is a model for the love we are to have for one another, the love that we are to have in, in, in the marriage relationship and other things. But this is that kind of loyal, steadfast commitment. Now look at verse 37 of Romans 8. After he asked this question, he says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from. From what? From the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, folks, some of us today needed that reminder. We needed that. That God's love is with us. That He has not abandoned us. That ideas such as, I will never leave you or forsake you, are true words for us, even in the day and time in which we're living. This is, again a commitment that God has made. Let's go back to our text and look at verse 18 of, Philipp, excuse me, of Ephesians 3. There's a similar phrase here that speaks in verse 18 about, about the the, uh, the height and depth and length and width of God's love. And maybe as you read those words, it may remind you of the cross because you, you kind of see the, the cross described with height and depth and width and length. And as we go before the Lord and receive the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, we're mindful of the cross. We're mindful of Jesus laying down his life and demonstrating that he loved us enough to lay down his life. Let me quickly talk about these four magnitudes, these four descriptions height, depth, length, and breadth. When we hear the word width, we're reminded that God has loved all people, he created all people in his image. We know one of the most famous Bible verses, John 3.16, for God so loved the world, right? All people everywhere. And in fact, there will be a day in eternity where there will be people from every tribe and tongue and nation surrounding the throne, right? So this is the width of God's love. It's not narrow for just particular people, it's a wide love. But it's also Love that is very long, this idea of length. Maybe you remember when Jeremiah heard the words, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Or maybe the New Testament verse, 1 Corinthians 13, love never ends, love never fails. It's a love that continues on into eternity. What about the depth? Well, we think about how low does the love of God reach? Well, according to Ephesians chapter 2, it reaches even to those who are dead in sin and trespasses. Is that not good news? That even when we were dead as sinners, Christ loved us. So His love goes very deep. And so which one are we missing? We're missing the height. So what does that mean? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 speaks of the blessings that come from heaven. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we've looked every direction and we see how God's love is described, how His commitment is described. And we ask, could we, could we measure it? That would be impossible, wouldn't it? Try to measure God's love. Trying to measure the immeasurable. Verse 19 even tells us that it's even something to fully It's even something difficult to fully comprehend. Look again at 19. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge. And you might be shaking your head saying, now wait a minute, he's telling me to to know something that, that, that surpasses knowledge. Well, we are called to know it. We are called to experience it. By faith, receive an understanding of how God has loved us in Christ. But to also know that 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 love is so great, our finite minds can't fully grasp and understand that kind of commitment and love that He has for you and me. It does deserve our serious contemplation. But after we've encountered it, we are going to forever be amazed by it. It is literally a love that is indescribable. There is an old hymn that's called The Love of God. And uh, it's, it's got some powerful stanzas. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing it to you. Um, but I would like to read some of the stanzas. As you read through the history behind this song, the author wrote it based upon some words, part of, in part, that were given to him. And they came on a bookmark. And the words were, at that time, even 200 years old. And someone that was in a mental health facility wrote these words on the wall of the room they were staying in. Used to use the word asylum to describe that kind of facility. But this is a believer, one who's trusting in God and whose words that were written on a wall would be preserved in a hymn. Let me read to you what this person wrote. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write. The love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Now, those not beautiful words written by someone who was clearly in a, in a time where they could be discouraged, where they could be depressed. Maybe they were suffering from depression or anxiety. But what was it that God spoke to them about? His love, his commitment to them. In fact, the, the author of the hymn went on to write, "O oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Well, folks, it is. It's an incomprehensible love. The third aspect that Paul prayed for is indwelling guidance. And if you look there in the middle of verse 19, it says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And I use the word guidance there because if someone is is filled with something, uh, they are controlled by it. They are guided by it. In fact, if someone is is filled with rage and hatred, their words and actions will be guided by that. If someone is filled with, with happiness and joy, their, their words and their actions will also be controlled by that. And so, so we're, we're praying in this prayer that it would be the fullness of God that is filling us, influencing us, guiding us. In fact, it's a strong word, but to even, to even say controlling us. That's, that's what we want, isn't it? it? It's oftentimes where we are at our weakest when, when, we're, when we're not when we're not feeling, feeling the presence of God and His Spirit among us. And so it's not something that we just attain at the beginning of the Christian walk. To be filled with God and to be filled with His Spirit is something that is continually happening. And here, Paul is praying for it. Maybe for some of us today, we say, I came in empty. I came in empty and I need to be filled. Well, what we need to be filled with is the fullness of God. That's the key. And that's what's being prayed for here in verse nineteen. Now it's interesting because we've looked at some things such as trying to measure the immeasurable love of God, or to uh, to know the the unknowable love of God. But here he's telling us to contain something that you could arguably say is uncontainable. How could someone contain the fullness of God? Well, we've been created to in some way be be vessels that he has chosen to dwell within that he wants to be within us that he wants to to live in us he wants to live through us and that's that's a that's a, a a tremendous blessing for us as believers and we we see it in one another when the when the fruit of the spirit when the wisdom of god comes forth from someone we know this is god at work in them and through them and that's the fullness of god that's being prayed for and that's what we need, even even to, to reshape our thinking. Because I'll tell you right now, there's a lot of thoughts out there. There's a lot of opinions out there. But what, what it really comes down to is, is what is the truth of God's Word? And that's what we need in a time in which we are living is we need His truth and we need His Spirit. Now, you may be asking, well, how can the fullness of God fill all of us? And I would describe it to you this way. Let's just... Think for a minute that, that we were able to go to the beach together, all right? Doesn't that sound good? Socially distanced, of course, right? All kind of s- spreading out across the beach, and that we, we each brought our bucket with us, and we walked out into the water, and we, we filled up some water from the, from the gulf or from the ocean, depending on where we're at, and immediately that, that bucket gets heavier, right? It's got salt water in it, because we, we went to a beach that's, that's out, that's, that's not close to here, Right? And the temperature of the bucket's probably changing a little bit based upon the water that's inside it. Now, if each of us did that, would there be any meteorologists out there issuing warnings about a, a decline in the sea level? Think about it. If we each filled up a bucket, and you say, Ryan, you're being crazy. Of course not. It doesn't change anything. We 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 could each scoop water out of that, out of that ocean and hold it and bring it back, and we're not changing the ocean. We're not changing its capacity to, to continue to give. Now, think about that as we each have needs before the Lord. He can fill you and He can fill you and He can fill me and He can fill you and He can provide all that's needed because of how great He is. Each of us can come. Each of us can be filled. And it doesn't change His capacity. That's what Paul is, is speaking of when he says the fullness of God. Now, it's amazing to me as Paul gives this prayer. It's very doctrinal, isn't it? I mean, we're learning a lot about the character and nature of God. Maybe we're being reminded of some aspects of it. But then all of a sudden, his theology turns to doxology. It's like the more he talks about who God is and what God has done, he now has to praise him. And that's why he says in verse 20, Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, According to the power that works in us, to Him be glory. Isn't that amazing? He's now ready to praise the Lord for all that He is able to provide. Just think about that vast capacity. Think about that word able. God is able. He's not like Artemis or Diana. He is alive and He is at work and He is able. He's able to do. He's an active of God. He is at work, and he's able to do beyond even what we ask. That's what the verse says. It, it also says he's able to do beyond what we think. So again, just thinking again about the magnitude of God. He's able to do beyond all that we ask or think. In fact, the verse doesn't stop there. It even says he's able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. I I, I highlight this verse because it it is just filled with truth about the strength of God, the strength that he is wanting to place within us today. And what's the application? It's right there in verse 21. And this really, this really is an amazing verse. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. He finishes the prayer and he speaks of Christ being glorified from generation to generation, which, of course, is what's happened. We didn't gather today to worship Artemis, did we? Nobody is. But we are gathered to worship Christ. Generation after generation. The church will prevail. It was built. It was built upon him. And the church will prevail this age. It's his church. And it's interesting that verse 21 says, To him be glory in the church. In those people that he fills, he wants to be glorified. And he wants the world to see his glory through the church. What a calling, what a privilege, what a reminder of of who God is and what we have received from Him, that He would even be glorified through our lives as part of His church. Isn't that amazing that that's the end of His prayer? Well, we began this morning by, by thinking about the possibility of losing heart. And I pray that God will use His Word today to encourage each of us That he will apply it specifically. That he can take it and and put it exactly where it needs to fit in your life. The question is, will we take his word? Will we receive it? Will we place our faith in it? And will we follow after him? We're going to now turn our attention to the Lord's Supper. And we're going to be reminded of what Christ has done. That he laid down his life. That he, he came and lived a perfect life. He did not sin, but yet His body was, was bruised, nailed to a cross. His blood poured out for the forgiveness, the remission of sins. And so as we, as we go into the time of the Lord's Supper, I'm going to read some verses from, from 1 Corinthians 11, and, and I'll talk a little bit about, about how this works in just a minute so that uh, I know it's a little, little different format than what we've, what we've done before. But it says in 1 Corinthians 11, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. And as we say every time, you don't, you don't have to be a member of this church, but we do ask that you be a follower of Jesus Christ, that He be the one to you that is Lord and Savior and makes this this message and this small meal meaningful. And when it says to do this in an unworthy manner or to do it in a worthy manner, it's not saying that we look at ourselves and say, "Okay, I'm worthy. I can I can take it." It says unworthy manner. It means that we want to do this in a way that is reverent. We want to do this in a way in which we are reminded. That this is really a memorial, a memorial of the sacrifice of Jesus that he laid down his life. That he died. He exchanged places. He took upon himself the penalty of our sin, and somehow we have received the blessing of his perfect life. And so with that in mind, I'd like for us to take just a few minutes, maybe a minute, have a time to pray. Maybe it's a time to examine yourself, a time to to do business with the Lord before we receive the Lord's Supper together. So take some time. Let's bow together. Go ahead and begin to pray personally before the Lord, and then I'll close our time with prayer in just a minute. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to be reminded of your love. To be reminded of your commitment. To even send forth your one and only son into this world. To be the Messiah, to be the Redeemer, to be the Rescuer. And we thank you for his life. His perfect life, coming to live in the flesh, coming as the God-man, the second Adam, to represent this world. We thank you for his faithfulness, and even amidst the suffering that would lead him to the cross, we know, Lord, that this was done. This was done so that we could be forgiven that we could be set free from the penalty of sin. And so we ask now that you bless these two elements, the bread and the cup, as they represent the body and the blood of Jesus. May we do this today in a manner that reflects, a manner that gives thanks. Thank you for being here among us. And we pray your blessing now upon the Lord's Supper, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Before we uh, take the bread, let me just explain. There's actually a couple of tabs to pull. It'll make it easier if you pull the cellophane one first. You can take out the piece of bread. And in a second, we'll take it together. I'll give you a minute to, to work on that. Also from 1 Corinthians 11, it says in verse 23, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. pull the the foil tab off the top. Hold this cup mindful of the blood of Jesus Christ. The payment that was made. It says in verse 25, in the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And it also says in this passage, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it comes. So We proclaim that the Christ is returning again, that He is right now preparing a place for you and for me, and we look forward, we long for that time in which He will come to receive us unto Himself. As we do each time we receive the Lord's Supper, we like to take a benevolence offering. And so if you are able today to share with those in our church or in the community in need... Uh, There'll be some deacons in the lobby. If you'd like to contribute to that, uh, you are welcome to do so. We are going to uh, sing a song of reflection, one that will will just uh, further emphasize what we have been considering and thinking of all day. And we pray that God would be glorified, that he would be honored in our time of worship.